You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. While our world is in a season of uncertainty, we know God rules over all things. In this series, we'll explore the opportunity before us to reflect, recalibrate our lives, and return to God with all of our hearts. Peace be with you. What a strange and confusing and disorienting week it's been. Our world has changed. And as the magnitude of this crisis is starting to come into focus, one thing's become clear, that life is going to look different in the days ahead. There's so much uncertainty right now. No one can say with any kind of confidence what life is going to look like in the weeks and months ahead. One thing I am certain of, though, is that this is going to be a defining moment, not just in our lives, but in the life of the church. Now, in light of that, we're putting our series in Matthew's gospel on hold for the time being so that we can speak directly into this moment. And over the course of the next several weeks, most likely, what I want to do is open God's word and let it frame and maybe reframe how we see and understand all that's happening around us. Today, I want to begin by saying that in the face of a deep crisis, we need even deeper truths to anchor our souls to. And there are two doctrines that have provided me with both great comfort and great confidence in the midst of all of this uncertainty. The first is the doctrine of God's sovereignty, which simply says that God is in complete control over everything. All that has happened, all that is happening, and all that will happen in the future. God rules and reigns over all, and he is in complete control. COVID-19 did not catch him off guard, and he is not powerless to act. If he wanted to, he could squash this virus in an instant. And yet, in his divine and eternal wisdom, which is often so very mysterious to us, he's chosen not to do that, at least not yet. But God is sovereign, it's number one. And number two, God loves his people, and he loves us with an everlasting, unchanging love. Romans 8, which is considered by many to be the the highest peak in all of Scripture, it ends with Paul expounding on the love that God has for us, that, that if he is for us, who can be against us, and that nothing can separate us from that love. And in verse 28, he says that he loves us so much that he's actually working everything that happens, the good, the bad, the confusing, even the ugly. He's weaving it all together for our good. Now, the good there, it's not left in abstraction. He tells us what the good that God is trying to achieve in us is. And that is that God wants to conform us more and more into the image of his son. Now, if, if we can hold both of these truths together, God's sovereignty and God's love, if we can hold them together at the same time, then we'll be able to see that this current crisis is not simply an unwanted interruption of our daily lives, but ultimately it's an invitation from God to grow and to deepen as his people. We've entitled this impromptu sermon series this incredible opportunity, because that's what I see before us. 
in the coming days, there's going to be so many opportunities put before us as God's people to step into that are going to stretch us and grow us and deepen us. We're going to have the opportunity to serve one another and the community and and maybe our country and the world in very powerful and tangible ways. We're going to have the opportunity to be radically generous, to give not out of our abundance like we often do, but to give out of our poverty like Jesus commends in Mark 12. We're going to have the opportunity to speak the hope of the gospel to people and to a world that right now is drowning in despair. Yes, the coming weeks and months, they're filled with so much uncertainty, but they're also filled with so much possibility. And I firmly believe that this crisis has the potential to be our church's finest hour. Now, the reason I say potential is because this won't happen automatically. This is not something we're going to stumble into. It's going to take work on our part to live into this calling and live up to our calling. Being a Christian, it doesn't give us immunity to the trials of life or to the worries and anxieties that come with those trials. I've been in conversations, it feels like nonstop for the last seven days, and it's become really clear that the first wave of fallout from this crisis has already hit. I'm already hearing about the trials you're going through. I've heard about a number of you who have already lost their jobs and many more of you who are worried that you're going to be next. I've talked to some of you who've had to lay people off, people you deeply care about, but there's just no money, and so you've had to let them go. I've talked to small business owners who are scrambling to keep their businesses afloat. I've talked to families whose hearts are broken because they had a great trip planned for spring break and now it's over. Be it big, be it small, we're all starting to feel the fallout of this. And on on top of both the, the major disappointments and the minor disappointments, we have the looming threat of this very nasty, still pretty mysterious and potentially deadly virus that's spreading rapidly around our country. And I know that that all of this comes together and it, it creates a lot of anxiety and confusion in us. Some of you, you're probably just exhausted, just weary, even though it's only been 10 days since this all really kicked off. Maybe for some of you, you don't even know what you're feeling or what you're supposed to feel. I'd imagine that for most of us, though, there's a lot of inner turmoil. And here's what I want you to see. That, that inner turmoil, that presents us with an opportunity to. It presents us with an opportunity to deepen our hearts and our souls as we deepen our faith and our hope in God. You know, I, I heard this quote earlier this week, and it really resonated with me. It's from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And it's actually the quote he opens the book with when he says, Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. And the desperate need today is not a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. This crisis, unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime, is presenting us with the opportunity to become deep people. Now, I think the first step 
in that journey and actually stepping into this opportunity to grow and to deepen as God's people. The first step is learning to recognize what's going on in our own souls and it's knowing what to do with it. I mean, what do we do with all of our fears and our worries and our anger and our frustration and our confusion? What do we do with the sadness that we have experienced, we are experiencing, or we, we will experience? A lot of us don't know what to do with that stuff. A lot of us have been taught, either directly or indirectly, to just push that kind of stuff down. But that's not helpful. And that's not what God's Word models for us. One of the primary tools that God has given us, and it's really a gift that God has given us in His Word, is the gift of lament. Lament at the most basic level. To lament means to cry out to God in the face of pain, suffering, and sadness. One author defined lament as the, an honest protest of the status quo. I love that definition. Lament is us crying out to God saying, this is not the way things ought to be. And I want us to know how to do that well. There's two reasons why. One, we are all likely going to have things to lament in the days ahead. The days ahead. And I know for some of you, this has been a minor disruption up to this point. But I think all of us are going to have things to mourn and lament over in the days and weeks ahead. The second reason I want to talk about lament is because on the whole, Lament is not something the American church is very good at. It's not a big part of our collective experience. There's not many songs that we sing as the American church about lament. You know, I heard the statistic that nearly half of all the psalms could be categorized as psalms of lament, and yet less than 5% of modern worship songs would fall into that category. I mean, that's actually part of our story and the story of sojourn music that we have a movement of lament in our liturgy every week and yet as we've tried to find songs to sing during that time they've been hard to come by and so we've actually written a number of songs of lament because we know that lament is an essential part of what it means to be human and what it what it means to be a people of faith in the midst of challenging circumstances so I, I want to talk about lament to equip you so that you're able to process all the emotions that you are feeling, you're, you're going to feel, so that you truly know, know what to do with the inner turmoil going on. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, it's a book that speaks powerfully to this moment. A little bit of the context in 587 BC, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and, and drove out most of the inhabitants. And this was by far the greatest tragedy in Israel's history up to this point. Because Jerusalem, while it was a city and while it was the center of trade and commerce, it was so much more than just a city. Centuries before this invasion, God made a promise to his people that one day, at that time they were nomads, but he made a promise to them, one day I'm going to give you a land of your own. It's the promised land. And Jerusalem sat at the very heart of that promise. 
in Jerusalem was the temple. It was the place where God himself dwelled in a unique and powerful way. Jerusalem, it was so much more than a city. It was a visible and tangible reminder of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God, and of the nearness of God. And yet after the Babylonians invaded and destroyed it, it became a wasteland. And it created so much pain and sorrow in the hearts of God's people. In the book of Lamentations, it was written as a response. It gives voice to the anguish that God's people were experiencing. And I want to say that by God, by including this book in his word, he bestows a sacred dignity, not just on human suffering, but also on the importance of knowing how to lament. And there are two aspects of lament that we see throughout Lamentations that I want to hold before you today. It's really simple. Lament, number one, lament requires us to be radically honest before God. And number two, lament demands that we cling in steadfast hope to God. Lament is about being honest and yet holding out hope. The book begins with a very honest assessment of reality. The author, who was probably Jeremiah, might have been Jeremiah, looks out over Jerusalem that's laying in ruins, and he writes, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has now become a slave. Now, if you read the book, that's where it starts, and it gets sadder and sadder as you go on. The, the brutal, unfiltered honesty of the book is actually quite surprising, and I encourage you to read it. But I think this shows us something crucial about lament, that lament requires us to be honest with God and to be honest with ourselves. Now, I found that this is hard for many Christians. Many Christians, they feel like it's sinful or wrong to complain to God or to bring all of their anger or frustration or sadness to God. I know some of you are probably already thinking, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that we shouldn't complain, that we should do everything without complaining? And it does. And the point of that passage in Philippians 2 is that we as God's people shouldn't go around complaining and grumbling to one another. And I want to say that's as true now as ever. There is enough anxiety running through our society at the moment. The last thing that I want us as the church to do is add to it. So we shouldn't go around complaining or grumbling to one another. But that doesn't mean we can't bring our complaints to God. And we're actually encouraged in the book of Lamentations. It models, for, models this for us but it also calls us to do it. Lamentations 2.19, the author says, Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. This text invites us to bring all of our anxiety and our sadness and our confusion and our frustration straight to the top, straight to Him. You know, the last 10 days have been really hard. They've been hard for every single one of us. We're carrying a lot of anxiety, anger, confusion. And I wonder, 
Have you found any time in the last 10 days to pour out your heart before God? And if you haven't, then what are you doing with all of that inner turmoil, all of that angst, all of that fear? Where is it going? We're all carrying so much internally right now. One way or another, hear me, it's going to come out. And if we don't know how to bring that to God and lay it before God, it's going to come out in unhealthy and destructive ways. Maybe you're going to blow up at your kids. Maybe you'll blow up at your spouse. Maybe you'll blow up at the people at Kroger. Maybe you'll you'll experience panic attacks. Maybe you'll just try to close yourself off. The way you're going to deal with it is you just close yourself off from other people, from the world, from God. Or maybe you'll try to numb yourself. Numb yourself with addictions, be it to obviously sinful things or sinful addictions, or to things that on the surface are pretty benign, like Netflix or an iPhone game. But you're just going to numb yourself by just plunging yourself into that so you don't have to think about anything. Here's what I want you to see. God invites us to a better way. He says we don't need to numb ourselves, we don't need to worry, and we don't need to just let our anger blow blow up and uh, land on other people. He encourages us to pour out our hearts before him. And I want to say this is a time for us to be really honest about what's going on in our hearts. I heard someone once say that what is not transformed within us is transferred to other people. Some of you are already seeing that in the lives of others in your own life. First step of lament is learning to be honest with God. In this book, it's a permission slip. saying, go ahead. You, You can lay it all out, unfiltered. God can hear it and he can hold it. And yet while lament begins with honesty, it doesn't stop there. If all we do is just voice our anger and frustration with God, I don't know if that's going to be extremely helpful. It's better than nothing. But what we see in the Bible, the pattern in the Bible of lament, is that yes, we're, we're radically honest, but we also cling and hope to God with a ruthless trust. You know, the book of Lamentations, it's five chapters long, and for the most part, it's just filled with a lot of heartache and sadness. There's an awful lot of darkness, but right in the middle of the book, chapter three, right in the middle of that chapter, a ray of light and a ray of hope pierces through all of the darkness. The author writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, all the bitterness. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, this is a very famous passage, and you might have even seen it, you know, uh, on a piece of artwork or online. And oftentimes, this passage is accompanied by a very quaint pastoral scene, a very peaceful scene. But you have to remember, these words were written in the midst of, utter and complete devastation. And the author, if it's Jeremiah, whoever it is, 
He's experiencing a tremendous amount of pain and heartache and confusion. And it's from that place that he holds forth these words of hope. It's clear he's put his hope in God's promises, but even more, he's put his hope in who God is, in his character. He sees through his present circumstances to the goodness of our God. In a way, I think what the author is doing here is he's contending with God. He's going to God saying, listen, life is really, really hard right now, but I know you and I know you're good. And so even though life is miserable, I'm going to hope in you and I'm going to trust in you because you are good and you are faithful and you are merciful and you never forget your people. Lament requires us to be honest, but also to go and contend, to cling to hope in God's promises and even more in who he is. You know, it's obvious, but I think important to say that the God who ruled over our lives a month ago when everything was booming, he's still ruling over our lives now. And he hasn't changed. He's still good. His steadfast love never ceases. He's still faithful to his promises. God hasn't changed. Our circumstances have, but he hasn't. And if we can remember that and remember his goodness in the midst of all of this, that's when we can really understand and step into the next two verses, verses 25 and 26, when the author writes, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly, for the salvation of the Lord. And there's a bit of a paradox in these two verses. On the one hand, we're told to wait for the Lord, but on the other hand, we're called to seek him out. And this is the paradox that we find ourselves in in this moment, that we need to learn how to wait on God to move. But while we're waiting, we also need to know how to seek him out and seek his face and contend with him hold his promises before him, remind him. You know, we're, we're two year, two-thirds of the way through our year of prayer initiative. And I really believe that God, in his grace and mercy, he's been preparing us as a church for this moment in time. This virus, when it first happened, I thought that the primary response of the church would be to, to get out in the streets and to go and help people, and yet as more information's come out, there's, there's something very ironic that the best thing we can do, we're being told, is stay away from people at this moment. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to get out and serve, and there won't be opportunities to serve. We're working on that. What it does mean is that right now, the great opportunity that's before us is to withdraw, at least from large groups of people, to step back, from our everyday routines. And I say opportunity because all of this means we're given space. We're given space to pray, to grow in prayer, to grow in seeking God, and to grow in learning how to wait on God. My prayer for us as a people is that we wouldn't waste this opportunity. I mean, this is, this is unlike anything most of us have ever had before. We live at a breakneck pace. Our lives are filled with so much noise and so much busyness. I had someone ask me, what do you think is the primary obstacle to your church experiencing deep renewal? And I said, everyone's so busy. 
They're great people and I love them, but our lives are so busy. It's hard to carve out time to grow and deepen in our faith. Well, God has carved out some time for us. I pray that we wouldn't miss this opportunity. I want to close by offering a few encouragements for you for the week ahead. The first encouragement is I want you to find some time this week. It's going to be hard if you have little kids at home, but find some time. Carve out 20 or 30 minutes to be alone. Turn your TV off. Leave your phone in another room and just be still. Just be still. When you do this, it's not probably going to be peaceful for you. Usually when, when we're not accustomed to silence and solitude and then we find ourselves doing it, it's actually really, really challenging. Because when you do that, all, starts, all sorts of things, they start to rise to the surface. And a lot of times we don't know what to do with them. But I want to encourage you to do that, to let these things rise to the surface and then to hand them to God, to put them before him. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is spend time in Lamentations 3. I want us to be a people who are constantly rehearsing God's promises. But even more, I want us to be a people who are well acquainted with his character, who know what kind of God it is we worship, a God who is steadfast and faithful and merciful. I pray that we come out of this knowing at a greater level how good our God is to us. And then the last encouragement, and this one's directed towards parents, but, but I think you can make the application, even if you're not a parent or your kids have grown up, but parents of little kids, I want to tell you, you have a tremendous opportunity in the midst of this to model for your children a truer and more beautiful picture of our faith than most of us received. Most of us were taught, just bury all of your anger, your sadness, don't talk about it, don't complain. But you have the opportunity to teach your children how to lament. So I want to encourage you, sit down with them, ask them, hey, how are you feeling? What are you sad about? Maybe they're sad because they haven't seen their friends. Maybe they're sad because a, a trip got canceled. Ask them what they're mad about. Ask them what they're afraid of. And then both by how you listen and then what you do after you hear that, model for them how to respond. Model for them that it's okay to be honest. Model for them that it's okay to be honest with God and to pray our fears and our tears and our anger. Teach them how to cast their anxieties on the Lord and even more, show them how to cling to God's promises and cling in faith to his mercy and his goodness. No one knows for sure how long this will last. I do know we're all going to be changed by this crisis. We're going to come out of this as different people. My prayer for us is that we would come out of it as a deeper people. I love you all, and I miss you dearly. Let me pray. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.